Welcome to the sermon podcast for Cornerstone Community Church in Galax, Virginia. We want to welcome you to week two of our Christmas at Cornerstone series. This week, we get to look at how the Christmas story really is a small town scandal. We also want to invite you to next week, our very special online Christmas event. We're doing a four-part special starting on December 20th and going through Wednesday, December 23rd. Each day, we'll release a new a special message and time of worship. Uh, that'll be entirely online. We'll be at live.mycornerstone.org and also be on Facebook and YouTube. We'd encourage you to connect with us at our Connect with Cornerstone Facebook group as well. If you have any questions, we would love to hear from you. Thanks for joining in today. Today, we get to continue our Christmas at Cornerstone series. Uh, last week, we talked about how God is with us, and today we get to kind of dig a little bit deeper in the story. I, I don't know about you guys, but um, have you ever really stopped to think about the benefits of living in a small town? Uh, there's some benefits there. Uh, Jennifer and I, when we first got married, uh, uh, we graduated college, got married, we moved to Winston-Salem. So we lived in the big city, and I got to commute every day up and down 52 and deal with the traffic. and. And Winston's not that big, I know, but it's still a little different than growing up in Galax, right? Um, and so, got to deal with that, and I worked for an aerospace company, and I was a crash test engineer. So I got to crash test airplane seats uh, during the day. Um, and it's kind of an interesting job, um, uh, but there were some drawbacks to being in, in the city. We were li- My workplace was in kind of a, a rough part of town, so uh, it was very... Uh, heavily guarded just to get into it, but uh, you know it was kind of weird because we'd get there and then they didn't want you to leave. <laughs> Have you ever had a job like that? They're like, "It's five o'clock and you're leaving." I'm like, "Yeah, it's five o'clock." And they're like, "You got more work to do." I mean, it was just that pressure to constantly put overtime in uh, to get more done. Uh, always high pressure, and we were dealing with deadlines with the FAA and the European agencies and all this stuff, and I was writing these 200-page reports. It was just high stress, and then we'd get home. Jennifer had a, a job, too. She worked late. We would get home, like, finally, like, 6.30 or 7, and, like, we got to eat, and then you, like, get supper, and then by the time you get supper done, you're going to bed, and then you just repeat, right? And when you're young and, and, and first started a job, you don't get vacation time and any of those things, so you're just working all the time. That's kind of, and so when I, we had a job offer, I had a job offer to move back here uh, to work for Nautilus. Um, we were like, okay, do, what do we do? Do we stay in the city or do we move back to our hometown? And, uh, and we started kind of thinking about it and, and we made the decision. We moved back here and immediately I saw a couple of things that really stood out to me. One was just the pace of life is slower here. Now, I know we're still busy, but there's less pressure. Uh, so to speak. You don't have to deal with traffic. I, and I don't know about you, but like for me, if I'm in traffic, I'm like the most impatient person in the world. I do not deal well with traffic. So being able to drive from Galax to Independence, which is like 15 miles, and not hit a single stoplight, because there are none, right? Um, every day, going there and back, it's such, it was just a soothing drive. It was just relaxing. It let me uh, kind of you know, get ready for work and then unwind by the time I got home. And, and so I worked there for, for over 10 years. And, and that was just kind of, you know, one of the benefits to a small town. There's some other benefits to, to a small town. Uh, there's a benefit that you know everyone. 
You know, I think back to, to being here and the, the people I've met and the people I know and from working in Independence, I know so many people there and, and from being here at church, I know people here and from growing up here, people I went to high school with and uh, I started doing youth ministry here when we moved back. So all those uh, kids that we met and, and worked with over the years, so I just think about how many people know us and how it's so nice to walk down the street and see people you know and actually, because that just doesn't happen when, you know, when I was at Virginia Tech, who beat UVA yesterday, <clears throat> by the way, just so you know, um, when I was at Tech or, uh, you know, when we lived in Winston, you never see anybody you know and when you're out and about. But here, it's like everywhere you go, if, you, if you're in a hurry, you don't go to Walmart or Food City or anywhere like that because you're going to see every single person you know. And that's just the small town life. Now, there's benefits to small town, but there's also drawbacks. The drawbacks are, you know everybody and everybody knows you. Right? Because <laughs> you can't hide in a small town. You can't get away. People know you. Um, and so if you make a, a mistake, you do something stupid, I guarantee you, you're going to be in the front page of the paper here. Uh, that's just how it works in a small town. And so then you've got to live with that and, and deal with the consequences. And everybody knows your business, even if you don't want them to. And that's just kind of the small town. There's, there's benefits, but there's also drawbacks. What's interesting to me in the Christmas story is that God chose small towns, right? Nazareth, Bethlehem. He, he, he could have chosen anywhere, but instead he chose a small town. Uh, why is that? Well, let, let's kind of dig in and, and talk about that a little bit. Mary was from the city of Nazareth. Now, while you, you've heard that and, and you kind of know about that, what you may not know is it was, a, it was a small town. It wasn't well known. In fact, it didn't have a good reputation. So, you know, if I told you that I grew up in a big city somewhere, if I grew up in downtown Chicago or East L.A. or the Bronx or whatever, you would look at me a little bit different. Uh, if I told you, uh, even here locally, there's certain communities that have a stigma around them, right? And I'll, I'll be nice and not mention any of those communities because I'm a city boy. I grew up here in Galax. And see, even by that, you're like, wait a minute. Okay, everybody, we associate things with different places, right? Some places are rougher than others. Some places... Uh, the people are just different. Well, Nazareth was one of those places that was different. In fact, it had a reputation that it was like people looked down on it. And in fact, later on when Jesus uh, was out doing ministry, uh, people would say, that, that's Jesus from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? That, that, was, their, that was their feeling. Can anything good come from that? It, can any, that's like Nazareth is like the dump, right? I mean, that's kind of what they were saying. That, that's like, no. I mean, and that's the reputation it had. And so here's the first point this morning. I, I want you to realize. This whole Christmas story, it was scandalous. This was a scandal when, when God came to earth. You talk about being known. I mean, you think about this. A small town, everybody kind of heard this story and everybody was whispering. Everybody was gossiping. If it would have happened here in Galax, I guarantee it would have been in the reader's hotline or the talk of the town. or It would be everywhere and people would be saying, did you hear about Santa? Did you know what they did? Did you know? I mean, that's kind of the, 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 the thing. Think about this. A local unwed mother claims she is pregnant, but yet she's still a virgin. You think that's a little scandalous? Would, it, would that make the reader's hotline? Would people be saying, what's Joseph going to do? Can you believe that? Who do you think the dad is? 
I mean, that's the, that's the, the, the response we would get. Uh, I think people would be gossiping. I think people would be talking about it. I think it would be a huge scandal. So we know, we know how small towns are because we live in one. And so we, we think about all this Christmas story. It's all a scandal. Now, she was a virgin. We know that part of the story that we're familiar with, but she was pledged to be married. So I don't know if you know how weddings worked in that time period, but let me kind of explain it because the whole marriage betrothal process was much more kind of involved than, than we understand now. It's a lot more than being engaged now. It was kind of a three-stage thing. First, you were pledged. And this is usually when the parents get together and say, okay, this person is going to be pledged to this. This could happen when the girls were like 12 years old. They could be pledged to someone as their future husband. Uh, that's a little weird to us now, right? That's a little weird to, to, to trust your parents to pick out your future mate for you. But that's kind of the culture of the day. Then would come the betrothal period, which was similar to what we do in engagement now, but it's a little more serious. And so... Uh, this, there would still be no relations between the people, but uh, it was much more serious. You couldn't break a betrothal except by divorce or death. Uh, during this time, while the people were betrothed, uh, often the woman would go ahead and move in with the family of, of the future groom. They would all kind of just live together and, and the, they would even be called husband and wife often during this time. So they would refer to each other even though they were betrothed. That, uh, and this, this lasted like a year. And so this was pretty serious. Um, and so, uh, you know, this was, this was a, a, a kind of different than how it is now. And then kind of the final part was the actual marriage. Uh, so that's kind of how it, it went. And, and this was during that betrothal process that Mary became pregnant. Now, again, it was a scandal because the, by legally his rights were to be to, uh, to divorce her publicly and the penalty for her sin would be stoning. Uh, so this is like serious business here. And so that's a huge scandal. There's another scandal that doesn't get talked about a lot is that there's a big age difference between Mary and Joseph. Now, we don't know how much exactly. I've seen it speculated that it was a lot more than you and I would guess. <laughs> um, you know, the, the truth is Mary was very young. Joseph, we think, was older. Now, how do we know that? Well, uh, we don't for sure, uh, but that was typical during that time. A couple of other things that we know is that Joseph is mentioned when Jesus was 12 years old at the temple, and then he is not mentioned again. And in fact, when Jesus starts his ministry at 30 years old, he refers to his mother and his brothers, but not his earthly dad. And then, uh, not only that, when Jesus is on the cross, he turns to John and tells John to take care of Mary, which tells us that Joseph by now is not there, that he is, he is dead. So, you put all that together, our, our thoughts are by the cultural standards and by the early church tradition is that Joseph was much older and had died of old age at, at the point where Jesus started his ministry. So that's kind of a, again, this is kind of scandalous. All of this. Uh, there's just so much uh, of, about this. And, and, I, and if you're like me, you start saying, well, why is it in a small town? And why these particular people? And why did it happen this way? When God came, why didn't He announce it in a, in a big castle with trumpets blaring and in an elegant way? And I mean, this is the God of the universe that created everything. Why was it in a small town in the middle of nowhere in the midst of a scandal? 
Well, here's why I think. Here's, here's the, the next point. is When God came to earth, He chose to use humble people. He, he chose to use humble people. Now, God could have announced it big, have the whole world know, here is Jesus, your future king. But that's not how Jesus is. As we watch Him live His life, what we see about Jesus is He's not the person that says, hey, look at me, look at how awesome. No, He's the person that is very selfless. He's the person that you wouldn't even, uh, you wouldn't even notice, right? Uh, often, except that there are people following Him and people listening to Him. Um, it, it's interesting, um, uh, in, in Luke uh, chapter 2, we learn another fact about Jesus that I think gets often overlooked. They were humble, but they were also very poor. Mary and Joseph were actually very poor. In Luke chapter 2, we have this scene. Uh, it says it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents, Mary and Joseph, took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So this is kind of an interesting story. We do today like what we would call a baby dedication or a child dedication where a child is brought up and, and, and we haven't done one this year with all of COVID. Uh, we'll get one scheduled soon when it's safe to do it. Uh, but what we do in a child dedication is as a church, we present this child to the Lord and say, okay, as a church, uh, we're going to be praying for you and praying for the family, the parents. It's your opportunity to say, I'm going to raise this child to follow God. Um, and that's really what this process was in their time. Um, and what's interesting about it is the standard sacrifice that was required was a lamb. Uh, that's what they were supposed to sacrifice when they did this. Uh, there was an exception made for those who were extremely poor. And the exception was you could bring two turtle doves or, 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 or a, a, a pigeons or two young pigeons. Um, and so that's what we see them bring. And that just tells us that Mary and Joseph were not affluent. They didn't have a lot of earthly possessions. In fact, they were very poor. Um, and so you think about all that, it just it shows why were they chosen. It was because they were humble. It was because God knew He could trust them. Uh, that's interesting to me that it's so humble. Um, I think about when... Kings or king, queens travel today, how different it is. Uh, how, like, how big of a deal it is when royalty shows up or when a president goes somewhere. All the, the pomp and the circumstance. I don't know if you remember, back in 2007, the Queen of England visited Jamestown. Uh, do you all remember that in the news? It was kind of, locally here, it was kind of interesting because a, a local bluegrass group went up there and played for the Queen of England, which is kind of crazy, right, when you think about it. Uh, but it, it was, that was a big deal. It was a big celebration at Jamestown, uh, so, so many hundred years uh, uh, celebration. Was it 400 years uh, celebration uh, at Jamestown? Um, and so that Queen, when she came, now get this, she brought 4,000 pounds of luggage. I thought Jennifer was bad until I read that. 4,000 pounds. Four th two tons, okay? Two tons of luggage just for her. This is not for the whole entourage. This is just for her. 
Uh, and she needed multiple outfits for all different occasions just in case. Not only that, she brought her hairdresser and all the valets and all her attendants. Not only that, she brought leather toilet seat covers. Okay? I'm sorry, but if you have to bring leather toilet seat covers with you, that's a little extra. That's a little, that's a little much. Uh, that's a little like I'm above everybody else. Uh, let, let's be honest. We're all, I mean, you just think about that. That's craziness. But that's how kings and queens and presidents and prime ministers, that's what we see today. We don't see normal, ordinary, everyday people. It's interesting that when Jesus came, He didn't come that way. He didn't come with His whole entourage. Didn't come, he came humble. He came as a baby that was completely dependent upon everyone else. He couldn't eat solid food. He couldn't control his bladder. He was dependent upon a poor, uh, a very poor mother who was probably a very young teenager. Uh, that's craziness, right? That the God of the universe would choose two people of such that had no means, that had no wealth, that had no influence. He chose two people because they were humble. It's interesting when we read in Philippians. Um, in Philippians chapter 2, it's kind of an interesting passage and it talks about why Christ came. And if you, I like reading out of the message paraphrase and it says this, it says, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of Himself. He had equal status with God. He had equal status with God, right? But, but he, he didn't think so much of Himself that He had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity. He emptied himself and he took on, right? He, he took on uh, the, the uh, I've got behind there. Go back one. That's it, okay. He took on the status of a slave uh, and then he became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. Think about this. It was humbling for him. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that of crucifixion. Jesus came in a selfless way. Again, it wasn't about, hey, look at me. Look, I'm the king of the universe. Part the ways, bow down, worship me. He came and lived selflessly. He lived a life on behalf of everyone else. He lived the life that we could never live. Why? So He could pay the penalty that, was, that we could never pay. And the death that he, he died, the crucifixion, was the worst kind of death. It was an excruciating, painful death. Uh, a, a public shaming. Uh, this, was, this is the life of Jesus. And I think that's why we see a small town with ordinary, average, everyday people to introduce Jesus to the world. You see, Bethlehem uh, was, a, was another small town. Uh, the census required that families return to their ancestral home to be counted. Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem. Uh, we don't have any idea how difficult that was. That was a difficult trip. Uh, they had to leave their home and the, the, the route between Nazareth and Bethlehem was mountainous. It was up and down and uh, there was lots of, of, of trials along the way. Uh, one, it was 90 miles. 90 miles. And during that day and time, uh, on a good day, uh, in good health and good shape, you could go about 20 miles a day. 
Just normal, everyday people. Her being pregnant, you, you kind of knock that down. They're probably doing 10 miles a day at most. Now, here's the thing. It's during winter. Uh, it would be in the 30s during the day. Lots of rain at that time of year. Uh, so cold, drizzling rain often happened. At night, it would be freezing. Now, again, they don't have, uh, they don't have heaters like we have today. They had to bundle up. This was treacherous. Uh, uh, it was up and down. Uh, it was a tough distance. Um, not only that, uh, when they traveled along the, the forested valley of the Jordan River, uh, at that time it was known that there were lions and bears that both lived in the woods. There were wild boars that would attack travelers. Uh, this was dangerous. We don't think about that now. Not like you have a pistol that pull out. No, I mean, this is, you had to be prepared at all times. On top of that, there were thieves and robbers and bandits that would try to steal everything you had. Now, the only thing they had going for them is they didn't have anything. All right? That's, again, we get this picture like on a postcard of Mary wrapped up and smiling, sitting on a donkey, and Joseph walking her hair. Here, honey, here, we're in Bethlehem now. 90 mile trip is tough. By the time they got there, they were tired, they were hungry, they were dirty, they were, uh, it, was a, it was just a terrible trip. And yet they had to, when they got there, now typically they would stay with a relative. All right? They would have an uncle or an aunt or a cousin or somebody back there, back in their hometown that they could stay with. But because everybody had to come at one time, uh, there was no room anywhere for them to stay. And so they end up in a, in a stable in an outbuilding. Now, scholars will say it's not kind of like a barn we think of today. It was more than likely like a cave, uh, like a, 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 a rock cave that they were in. Or, I've seen different things, but here's the reality. They were in a place that was not fit for humans. They, they were with the animals. They, the only place they had to put the baby down, right, was a, a place that was meant to feed the animals. This, this, is not, this is not looking like the entrance of a king. This is not looking uh, like this is the way it should happen. But here's what I want you to know. God knew the plan because God arranged the plan. And I believe there are several lessons that we learn here. God was looking to, for, for the humble. God knew that it wasn't about worldly riches. He knew that hey, Mary and Joseph were poor, but... They, they would take care of Jesus. In fact, um, in, in 2 Corinthians 7, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that through His poverty you might become rich. This is a profound truth in that verse. Through His poverty, through His humility, right, we are exalted to be able to live with the God, our Creator, forever. That's how we can become rich. It's not about money. It's about presence. It's about being reconciled to the God who created us. So Jesus, He stepped out of the riches of heaven. He stepped out of the, uh, the, that kingdom and entered our world. He became a man. And as a man, He didn't become a king, but He embraced that poverty. In fact, He... He did that so that we could know our God the Father. And it's interesting that how we, as we look at the life of Jesus, how He's attracted to humble things. Humble places. Humble hearts. 
God says He rejects the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so He looks, I think that's the whole reason He was born in a stable. It was, it was a sign of humility instead of a sign of power and prestige. Now, Max Lucado said this about the birth of Jesus. I love reading uh, some of his Christmas stuff. It just it, he's, he's got such a way with words. He said, He came not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. God tapped humanity on its collective shoulder. Pardon me, he said, and eternity interrupted time, divinity interrupted carnality, and heaven interrupted the earth in the form of a baby. Christianity was born in one big heavenly interruption. I love that. Uh, it, one big heavenly interruption is what the birth of Jesus was. It's like God said, okay, it's time. It's time for, for me to make my entrance. But it's going to be in a humble way. It's going to be in a quiet way. It's going to be in a forgotten town. Uh, now, some shepherds are going to hear about it. They're going to come. Wise men that were looking for the star, they saw it, they came, they worshiped. Uh, and then we had the, the, the other response of King Herod who heard about it and his response was, let's kill all the babies because I don't want uh, somebody to threaten me uh, and become king later on. So we, we look at this. See, here's what I want you to know. Here's, here's my next point. Although his birth was ordinary, Jesus was far from ordinary. Although his birth was ordinary, Jesus, he was so different. He was not, there was nothing ordinary about him at all. In fact, he was 100% God. He was 100% man. He was God in the flesh. I, I read this this week and it was interesting. It said, his life never seemed destined for greatness. He was born in a small, obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He, he didn't go to high school or college. He never visited a large city. In fact, he never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never wrote a book. He never held office. He was only 33 years old when the tide of public opinion turned against him, prompting even his closest friends to abandon him. He was then turned over to his enemies. He was nailed to a wooden cross between two criminals. While he was dying, the executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property that he had on earth. After he died, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of an acquaintance. Yet almost 2,000 years have come and gone, and today he is arguably the central figure of the entire human race. His life even marks our concept of time. Uh, A.D. is Latin for Anna Domini, the year of our Lord. So you, you think about that. Everything in this entire world, right, was changed because of this single solitary life. Jesus had more influence on all of humanity than any other person that has ever lived before or after. From a poor, from poor humble beginnings, the whole world was changed. It's interesting to me that when we think about Jesus, often what we think about are the pictures we've seen, right? The, the tall, handsome, blue-eyed Jesus that we see. You realize that that's, that's not what Jesus looked like, right? He, he, was a, he lived in the Mediterranean. He, he was dark-complected. Uh, he was probably short. Uh, if we look at prophecies in Isaiah, Isaiah, it, it even tells us that he wasn't much to look at. People didn't follow him. In fact, I'll just read Isaiah 53 too. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. All right, nothing that we should desire him. And when we look at Jesus, 
I mean, we get that, that picture like the movie Jesus. That when he walks in, everybody just turns and goes, that's Jesus. Right? You, you, you know, I, I'll say it. We, we've been watching a, a, a few episodes of The Chosen. Have, has, have any of y'all seen that? Kind of an interesting concept. They're doing a whole series of, about events surrounding the life of Jesus. And the first show, this character walked in and Jennifer and I went, that's Jesus. Yeah, I mean, how did we know that? Because you could just tell. It's like immediately the music changed. Everybody looked to Jesus and it's, oh, that's, that's going to be Jesus. That, that's Him. Um, and that's kind of what we've been conditioned to think about. But the reality is, is people weren't drawn to Him by His appearance. In fact, I, I feel like when Jesus first started His ministry, He would walk down to the street and He was the person that nobody noticed. Nobody cared about. Uh, people overlooked. It's only when he started ministering and, and serving others and, and, and doing miracles that people started noticing. And then they often followed him for the wrong reasons. And as people started following Jesus, there's so many accounts in Scripture where he's like, wait a minute, you're following me? Are you sure you want to? Like, you read Luke 9, he's like, like okay, you're, if you follow me, you're not going to have any place to sleep. You're not going to have any place to put down your head. You're not going to have any possessions. You're going to be despised by people. Are you sure you want to do this? It's like Jesus was trying to talk people out from following Him. Why? Because He knew that the cost was high. And I think sometimes we, in church today, we kind of do the opposite. We're like, it's easy to follow Jesus. Just say a prayer and then just keep going. No, it's hard to follow Jesus. Everything in this world is trying to pull us away from Jesus. So if we're going to stand and we're going to follow Him, it's going to be difficult. That's why we have to die to ourselves daily. We have to take up, to our, take up our cross and, and follow Jesus. There's a, a daily death, a daily process that we go through that's not easy. Don't let anybody tell you that following Jesus is easy. It's not. It's hard. Now, making Him your Lord and Savior... It's amazing that all we have to do is we have to believe. But then when we start following Him, that's tough. That's tough. That, that, that's real life. And so when we look at this, it, Jesus is not ordinary. He's not ordinary in any sense of the way. Uh, you know, I, I think about that, and, I, and this is what I want to share with you this morning, just that simple promise that we have in John 3.16, that God loved you so much. That God loved you so much that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting, eternal life. That He cared so much about ordinary people in ordinary life that, that, that He cared so much about that that He sent His extraordinary Son to do something about it. John MacArthur said this. He said, if we could condense all the truths of Christmas into only three words... These words would be God with us. We tend to focus our attention at Christmas on the infancy of Christ, but the greater truth of the holiday is His deity. More astonishing than a baby in the manger is the truth that, he is, that this promised baby is the omnipotent creator of the heavens and the earth. The little baby that made such an inauspicious entrance into the world was the creator of the universe. The creator of the world. The creator became like his creation. He came to become one of us. And so let me just ask you this morning. Do you really know him that way? Or do you just know the stories about Jesus? The movie star Jesus. The tall, dark, handsome Jesus. Or do you know the Jesus that 
came in a humble way, a humble beginning, but He came because He loved you so much that He didn't want you to live separated from God for all of eternity. He came to live a life that was difficult, that was hard, that was grueling, where He was tempted in every way, just like we are. Why? Because He's 100% human and 100% God. But yet, He did not give in to that sin. He came so that He could be the sacrifice that paid the penalty for our sin. And so, if you don't know Jesus in that way, I want to just challenge you. If you're watching online or, or if you're here in person, if you don't know Jesus that way, then do something about it. Make Him your Lord and Savior. Like I said, it's easy to do. It's hard to follow. It's easy to, to make that decision to follow Jesus. It's a, but it's hard to actually put it into practice. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. That's the easy part. We understand why He came and what He did. The hard part then is when we put it into practice day by day and live for Him. Now next week you're going to have a chance to help us all this week to, to share the Christmas story with this community we're in. Uh, and really we can share it and it'll go around the world. People will watch this all over the world, right here from Galax. And so I want, to, I want to challenge you to help us do that. Help us share this Christmas story with as many people as we can. I believe this world needs Jesus more than ever, and I believe we have the hope that they need. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up and we're going to worship today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we can worship here today. I'm thankful for everyone that is tuned in online uh, I'm thankful for the gift of technology you've given us that helps us to get this message out, even in the midst of a, of, a, of a pandemic. Lord, I pray for our services next week that many people would hear the gospel message, the good news that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. This morning, Lord, I pray for each and every person here that they don't just know facts about Jesus, that they don't just know Jesus intellectually, but they really know Him on a, on a personal level. That they put their faith and their trust in Jesus. That they've surrendered their old way of life. That they've taken up their cross to, to follow Jesus. Lord, when we do that, it, it, it means that we die to our old way of life and now we're a new creation in Christ. We're, we're living for a new King. We're living for a new Master. When we say Jesus is Lord, that's what it means. Uh, now we're under the control of Jesus, not the world any longer. So I pray for everyone here that if they don't know you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be a day of surrender. A day of saying, okay, I, I'm tired of doing life my way. I want to make Jesus my Lord, my Savior. When we confess our sin, when we acknowledge our need for a Savior, when we cry out to God, you hear us, you forgive us, you cleanse us from all of that unrighteousness, and you give us a new life, a new heart a new purpose. This Christmas, Lord, help us to live that out. Help us to share with the world around us. Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as we close today, as always, it's your chance to respond. If you're watching online, uh, you'll have some chance to respond as well. Um, and so we uh, ask that you just uh, think about what God is asking you to do. Here, you can come, receive communion. You can come to the uh, the cross and write out your prayer request. Uh, but let's stand together as we close today. And uh, let's do everything we can to share this Christmas message with as many people as we can. Let's worship today.